I am not a prophet or a son of a prophet. But I could be pretty safe in predicting that in synagogues and churches this weekend, the subject that is being discussed most is the subject of marriage. And uh, so I want to do a uh, small series. Uh, Most of this today I'm going to read. I'll make some comments. I'm doing it for two reasons. You know that when something controversial or what appears controversial uh, comes out into our culture, people start doing slogans and they start sniping at each other. And almost any word you say that's wrong gets twisted away from what you intended. So I'm going to read a lot of this. I'll make some comments, but I'll be careful with my words. Of course, if you have questions, uh, we have the Q&A at the end. On Friday, June 26, 2015, the Supreme Court of the United States issued their judgment on the issue of state authority to ban gender-neutral marriage. This has been the culmination of a cultural battle and struggled to define legal marriage in the United States in the context of an increasingly secular society, postmodern worldview, and pluralistic paradigm for addressing diversity. The court determined five to four that states did not have the authority to deny legal marriage to any individual regardless of race, gender, ethnicity, religion, or sexual orientation. The result is that the legal definition of marriage has been expanded. I use the word expanded because they did not change the acceptance of our marriages. Nothing took away anything in our marriages. But they have expanded this to include same-sex or what I call gender-neutral marriages. It remains to be seen what effect this will have on polygamous or bisexual marriages and what implications this may have regarding close relatives marrying. The legal battle at the front will be related to religious freedom beyond the congregations and denominations, which at present seems secure, at least for the congregations, but which may cross the private public definitions of law. Most court decisions at present, appear to disallow religious people engaged in businesses to the public from refusing to provide services and goods to persons whose marriage is objectionable to them on religious grounds. This will be a difficult issue because it covers areas of individual freedom, civil rights, legal standards, local, state, and federal authority, and religious freedom. So this week and next... I intend to give perspective to this issue for the members of the Disciple Center and our families as we relate to the decision and to the distinction between religious and legal marriage, something that is being ignored in many uh, Christian circles. Our practice and theology regarding marriage has not changed and at present is not threatened by this decision. But many churches will be significantly affected by this decision because they have had an inadequate biblical view of marriage and have become mired in a mistaken strategy that traditional marriage and religious marriage were the same. Now, 
for you guys, this is like saying the sky is blue. But for many Christians, if you say traditional marriage, they think biblical marriage. Many of you, if not most of you, have gone through my marriage and family courses where I make a distinction between cultural marriage and religious marriage, biblical marriage, Judeo-Christian marriage. So you're aware of that. The big slogan has been, love wins. Well, I've been saying forever that marriages based on romantic love are not biblical. They're cultural. Our marriages are based on lordship and therefore only belong to God's people, Jews and Christians. In fighting for traditional marriage against gay marriage, they have compromised religious marriage and now may find that any fight to protect religious marriage will be seen as a homophobic attempt to reverse the decision. Recent statements by Franklin Graham and Al Mohler are ambiguous in this regard. They don't make a distinction between civil and religious marriage. And this will encourage their supporters and inflame their enemies. But it misses the point and adds to the problem. Both of them should not have made those statements. These two messages in the next two weeks are to assist our members in understanding our theology and approach to the matter. It is also intended to assist others in understanding our view, but it is not intended to speak for anyone beyond our congregation. I want to begin with the tensions of this problem. Underscoring the issue are several cultural tensions that energize and motivate the ideas and perspectives found among those speaking for and against this decision. I don't want to talk about the political thing particularly, but the issue is worldview. America was formed in the context of modernity. The modern worldviews have three major directions. A secular one that is dismissive and hostile to religion. A worldview, this worldview considers religious revelation to be foolish or superstitious and accepts only secular science and reason as authority. There are two religious worldviews that struggle against this. The religious liberal worldview limits religious revelation to a place subservient to science and reason. And then the conservative religious worldview places religious revelation, the scriptures, as an authority over science and over reason. These three configurations inform foundational assumptions for those involved in the struggle over marriage sexuality, and freedom. The emergence of postmodernity has resulted in worldview perspectives that are highly and radically individualized and are based on personal experience and feeling rather than any objective truth or reality. This allows gender and even perhaps racial identity to be psychological rather than biological and historical. Religious postmoderns and secular postmoderns see all of these issues as personal rather than social. I'm not going to go into that in more detail. We've been through a whole series on the worldviews, and you understand those, those notions. But there is also an issue that I want to talk more about next week, which is the issue of church and state, or what is currently being termed religious freedom. The American nation was established with a concern about the history of Europe. People were caught between the power of the king 
and the power of the bishop. Religious and political authority fought each other and, in, and together forced their will upon common people without appeal. The founders of this country provided a documented limitation of government by a presidency and balance of powers rather than a king and nobles, and a separation of church authority and civil authority by means of the First Amendment. A free church in a free state was the approach they chose. The idea was that government and church could not control each other, and they could not join together to control the people. I'll talk more about that next week. Now, I'd like you to look at our statement uh, on marriage, because this is a document that we released in 2011, but goes back to the founding of the Disciple Center, and to some extent goes back 30 years in my uh, teaching on marriage and family from a Judeo-Christian perspective, making a distinction between secular cultural marriage and religious marriage. In the first paragraph, it really talks about why the form of that statement was released, the New York case. I'm going to ignore that. But let me pick it up at the last uh, sentence of the first paragraph. This statement is intended to clarify the position of the Disciple Center congregation regarding our perspective as it relates to holy matrimony, religious marriage, and civil unions, legal marriages of any type. Let me say something about the word marriage. A lot of people are very upset that the word marriage should only be used for biblical marriages. That is not biblical. The Bible talks about the marriages of the peoples beyond Israel, treats them as marriages, but does not treat them as holy, treats them as common. There is a holiness distinction in Judaism and Christianity that we have lost. And in Christianity, we've turned it into wearing makeup wearing dresses and going to movies instead of biblical content. And that's, that's a reason why marriage has been uh, so blurred in this context. So, the Judeo-Christian congregation, the, the Disciple Center congregation is Judeo-Christian. This means that we acknowledge a faith that is dependent on the sacred scriptures of Judaism and Christianity, informed by both of these religious traditions. More specifically, we are directly affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention and the Messianic Jewish Movement. This places us within the free church tradition. That tradition is bound to Scripture by commitment to its authority and generally acknowledges the traditions of Orthodox, Conservative, and Reformed Judaism, as well as Orthodox, Catholic, and Protestant Christianity under the Baptist notion of the liberty of conscience. Now, the liberty of conscience is the idea that we are allowed to stand before God on our own and live by our own convictions because it is God who will judge us, not the church. Now, within a congregation, there will be corrections and issues. But the Baptist notion is that as as uh, free souls before God, we stand before God and we must not violate our own conscience regarding what God has said. Even though we may be at times wrong and at times differ in that context. Based on this commitment to scripture and perspective on tradition, 
our understanding of marriage is that it is first and foremost a divinely sanctioned institution incumbent upon religious Jews and Christians. We draw this from Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 1 establishes the Sabbath. That's the purpose of the creation narrative. The second narrative establishes the creation of man and woman and establishes the religious institution of marriage. That institution of marriage will develop into many forms at Babel when the nations are formed and will be reestablished through Israel and the Torah in terms of the revelation given to Israel as a light to the nations, clearly a distinction between that holy matrimony and the common matrimony among the Gentiles. This follows our understanding of the Genesis account of the creation of man and woman in the image of God and the command to leave one's parents and become united in marriage. As such, it is not a legal institution, but a spiritual and communal one, binding us to God, the God of Israel, and to each other by a vow and commandment, and lived out before our community of faith and all humankind. This holy matrimony, therefore, cannot be established or dissolved by the state. We also believe that no Judeo-Christian representative, clergy, rabbi, minister, priest, may grant this holy institution to unbelievers. You do not give that which is holy to unbelievers. So we do not provide marriage to those who are not of our religious community. We do acknowledge that our faith requires that we consider the state to be sanctioned by God for the reward of those who do good and the punishment of those who do evil. We further acknowledge that we are required to live at peace with all people to the extent that it depends on us, and we are to render to civil authority due respect and obedience under God. I'll talk more about that next week. American civil law has always granted to religious marriage certain legal privileges and responsibilities by accepting our religious marriages as legally valid with regard to these rights. Linda and I did not have to go to a justice of the peace. We did not have to go to any legal structure in order to do our religious marriage. The government accepted a clergyman pronouncing us man and wife and registered our marriage as a legal marriage in this state. But they put no requirements on us regarding the ceremony and the roles that we played. In addition, we affirm that these rights have been given to persons from other religions and cultural tra traditions without conformity to Judeo-Christian requirements. Clearly, Buddhist marriages and civil marriages have been accepted by the state as well. Historically, two exceptions should be noted. One is polygamy, which has been placed outside the legal system by a Supreme Court decision. And second, same-sex unions have historically been denied recognition. At present, holy matrimony, religious marriage, is fully accepted by the U.S. federal and state governments as a valid marriage without exception. And therefore, nothing has been done to our marriages. 
We further acknowledge that holy matrimony has been practiced with varying consistencies by those claiming the Judeo-Christian faith and traditions within Judaism and Christianity. In Judaism and Christianity, religious marriage has included religious divorce based on Torah and canon law, respectively. Among the free church tradition, this has been more problematic. Confusion and overlap regarding the nature of holy matrimony and civil marriage has resulted in many within these churches seeing no difference between legal and religious marriage, which I think is a problem. This is made more difficult by the fact that free church evangelicals and non-denominationalists, and to a great extent Baptists, have allowed civil divorce to serve as the disillusion of a religious marriage without providing a real option for a religious divorce system. You know, if you've read my book on marriage or you've been through my class, I believe that we must determine as a community when a, when a divorce uh, is valid or invalid based on religious consideration, not the civil courts. Therefore, we treat legal divorces in the same way that we would treat a legal separation, not allowing remarriage unless the congregation has given an agreement uh, to that notion. This is in part because Baptists and free traditions have been silent or unclear regarding the place of marriage as either a sacrament or an ordinance. Not so with baptism. Obviously, if Kmart started baptizing or Costco did group baptisms for cheap. Baptist churches would say, we don't accept that. But if you go and have Elvis marry you in Vegas, we accept that. And if Jerry Brown divorces you, we accept that. We ought not do that. We're confusing legal and religious marriage. Orthodoxy in both Judaism and Christianity maintain distinctions between religious and secular marriage, including divorce and annulment, but free church and independence have not always followed this distinction. This distinction is important. Religious marriage must be under religious authority. Civil marriages, union contracts, whatever the, the state does, must be under state authority. A free church, free press, free state, and free market system has always been a Baptist ideal in America since the beginning of this country. This is consistent with the Jewish diaspora perspective, which has maintained Jewish marriage within many cultures and state systems. It's also served Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholic perspectives of Christian marriage as a sacrament. The distinction is protected by the Establishment and Free Exercise Clause in the Bill of Rights. And this is the reason converts to Christianity have been required to bring their existing secular marriages under religious authority by a solemnization ceremony in which traditional religious denominations and others practice. We certainly have practiced that here. We have people who were married civilly and then went through a religious ceremony to bring their marriage under uh, ecclesiastical authority. From its founding, the Disciple Center Congregation has held the historic Judeo-Christian view that marriage is a religious institution, what I will call a sacramental ordinance, a holy ordinance, commanded by God to his people Israel and extended to Gentile Christians through the gospel. It is a uniting of a man and a woman in a lifelong commitment. 
It establishes a household that is autonomous from the parents. It is foundational to the procreation and parenting of children. It is validated by religious authority rather than state authority. It is expressed by the requirement of a religious ceremony and prescribed marital roles. In other words, the altar or the hoopah is always present, acknowledging that this is under God, and the roles that we engage in are not negotiated by us or traditional marriage roles. They are those prescribed by the Torah and Gospel scriptures themselves. And it is not dissolved uh, by a civil uh, divorce. We have not in our history as a congregation, nor do we presently recognize any civil marriage to be a religious marriage, unless that marriage is solemnized by a religious ceremony indicating the conforming of a religious marriage, uh, of a civil marriage, to meet the criteria stated above. Now, we are not denying the power and authority of the state to establish and regulate legal marriage for the common good, but civil marriages are not religiously accepted merely on the basis of their legal standing with the state. In addition, we do not consider our marriages to be validated by the state. We are satisfied that our marriages are recognized by the state as legal with regard to marital status and family rights under federal and state law. Now, should the government decide that our marriages are not valid, we would perform them anyway and live according to God's law as husband and wife. Thank God, at the present time, we have additional uh, privileges uh, given in this culture because our marriages are accepted. When the civil authority, federal and state, changes, amends, or alters the legal and civil definition or rights associated with legal status of marriage, it only its only effect on religious marriage is whether or not religious marriage continues to be granted full legal status and rights under that authority. This decision hasn't touched that at all. So calm down. Okay? Therefore, the emergence or potential for same-sex marriages or gender-neutral unions as legal options within the United States as a whole does not change our view or practice. We continue to accept only religious marriage as acceptable to our congregation for membership and participation in this religious community. As individual citizens of the country, we enjoy the rights and responsibility to speak to the issue of the implications and advisability of changing the historic structure of marriage as a social institution and legal union of a man and woman, as well as the culturally traditional understanding of the household and family based upon this structure. It remains to be seen what this will do to the culture. In most nations where gender-neutral marriage has been accepted, marriage has ceased to be significant. In many countries, less than 10% of the people get married, which means that religious marriage may now shine, and Christians may have to focus on what religious marriage really is. It's understandable that our religious perspective would inform that discussion of the issue in social, cultural, legal, parental, and educational context. 
but our opinions on the matter and our individual votes are part of our civil rights and responsibilities, not enforcement of our religious practice. As a congregation, we take no political position except to assert our perspective on the difference between religious and civil marriage in this regard. So, uh, I hope that that's clear to you and that you understand. I want you to be able to explain and express things. I'm trying to get this done fairly quickly because I want us to have a Q&A off the recording. So, let me talk about the way forward and then we'll open up to questions. The decision of the Supreme Court at present has no effect on the theology or practice of the Disciple Center, but it does have an impact on the culture in which we live and within which we raise our children. This means that we have to address two things. Now, this again is not new to you, but it will be new to many Christians. And this is so old hat to Jewish people that they would go to sleep as I speak about it. (laughs) Because they know diaspora. They have lived in every country of the world maintaining Jewish identity and practice in many places in very hostile contexts. We have lived fat and sassy in a culture that has been so influenced by Christianity and to some extent Judaism that people couldn't tell the difference. But that difference is now going to be obvious. So the first thing that we have to be concerned about is assimilation. The threat that Judaism and Christianity face in this culture and in cultures that are not strongly influenced by Judeo-Christian values is that of becoming less Christian in identity and practice. How can we be in America, but not of America, when America is not acting Christian? Will our children, if we're Jewish, be Jews? Will our, Christ, will our children, if we're Christians, be Christians? That question is now a real question. Because the Government, which is secular, is taking over an enormous amount of uh, institutions that operate in connection with our children. And the media, which is secular, is also doing that too. And those two institutions have much more control of our children than many of us do because we're outsourcing them and they're very seldom seeing us in the home addressing Jewish and Christian issues. So, will the faith once for all delivered to the saints continue in this culture? It will only do that if it continues in me. It will only continue if it continues in my household. It will only continue if it continues in my children and my grandchildren. And that's not the church or the synagogue's job, that's the family's job. And therefore, forgive the pun, we have to focus on the family. Okay? The reality is your children and your grandchildren will not grow up with a Christian identity now if you don't give it to them. In the past, they could grow up with it very easily with the parents being nominal or non-believers. That is unlikely to happen 
in the future. So we need to talk about that. The other thing we need to talk about is the other threat that faces Judaism and Christianity in, in many cultures, and that's persecution. The more a culture differs from biblical worldview, and the more a, cultural views, a culture views Jews and Christians as a threat to their security and values, the more likely persecution is likely to happen. Persecution is a reality that comes in waves and is normative in the history of both Judaism and Christianity. Until recently, Jews to some extent and Christians in America did not have to concern themselves with assimilation or persecution because this culture was dominated by Judeo-Christian influence and it was clearly religious friendly. This was the case uh, to the extent that many in the culture assured themselves that they were Christians simply because they were Americans. And we had to go through this whole thing and just because you go to church, just because you go to America, doesn't make you a Christian anymore than being in a garage makes you a car. Right? Those days are over. We have to face a post-Christian America that is increasingly uncertain to what extent it will support Israel, to what extent it will endure Jews being religious, and to what extent it will tolerate uh, Christians when they are vocal of Judeo-Christian perspectives on sexuality, history, and the place of God and Israel in this postmodern world. I'm going to address that next week because next weekend, the Shabbat is the 4th of July, and I want to talk about it in that context. But today I wanted to reinforce that we hold to a religious marriage and that marriage actually has not been threatened yet, but it has a new challenge. And that is a challenge to shine that light before men that men may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven without going after other people, without going after other marriage forms that have nothing to do with us, that are common to the culture and won't be an issue. Where we're going to have the issue is our children growing up where these are viewed as normal, and if they don't have a concept of holy versus common, then they will simply see them as options. And that will be our danger. So, uh, that's my statement. That'll be on our webpage. You have the written document. Hopefully that will help you as people ask you. Uh, when I uh, came out of Cal Baptist on Friday uh, from grading, uh, the news media was hanging out on the edge of the campus looking for someone to be foolish enough to say a slogan and they couldn't find anybody. So they asked a couple people who didn't know much about what was going on and said, not a big deal. And so there wasn't much of a news flash. So let's pray. Father,